Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. The rest of you can open your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 John. We're in chapter 3. Uh, I'm aware that I, I forgot to pray for a couple of things as I was saying goodbye to the college students, so we'll do that here uh, in just a moment. Um, it's been a busy couple of weekends here at uh, New Life, last couple of weekends. Last, uh, or yesterday, we had our annual church work day. So folks were here from about 9 a.m. into the late afternoon working on our property and our building. So thank you for all of you who came out and worked so hard uh, to be good stewards of our property. It was a great time of fellowship, and we thank you, thank also those who uh, organized that. So that was yesterday. Uh, the weekend prior, we had a mystery dinner here, actually, on Saturday night that our events team put on, and uh, that was a great time as well. The events team put a lot of work into that, and uh, it, it was definitely a mystery that's hard to explain. You just had to be there, really, to understand, but they did a great job, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, so that was last week. So thanks for all of you who organized these events um, for our church. Um, <coughs> you might have seen the paper Muncie Star Press, this past Friday, there was a story about a man charged with murder. And uh, what was interesting about this story is that the murder that um, he was accused of committing happened a, uh, 10 years ago, back in April 2008. And um, he'd been eluding capture all this time and um, decided to confess. So he stepped forward to confess to uh, the authorities, and in the paper, in this article in the Star Press, he was quoted, he was explaining why it was that, that he confessed, and he said, it was because I could not have any peace in my life until I got this out. Apparently, this man was tormented by his conscience, overwhelmed with feelings of, of guilt and shame, was finding this so intense and so tormenting that, that he had to get it out. And, and he confessed and is now charged with murder. This is an example of what we might call a properly functioning conscience. God, God gives us a conscience for a reason. He, he gives us a conscience a, as a gift to kind of alert us to what is going on. Uh, in ourselves, just like the, a fever is kind of an alert that there's something wrong with our body, and an engine light is an alert that there's something wrong with our vehicle, the conscience will alert us when there's something wrong with our soul, when there's something wrong with our moral performance in the world, and that is a, a great blessing that God gives to us. And when the conscience functions properly, it can bring about the same kind of results as we saw in this guy in, in the Star Press, uh, a confession, um, and the opportunity for restitution to those offended. But there are times when our consciences don't function as they should. There are times when our consciences kind of, uh, like an engine, they kind of overheat, and they get um, oversensitive and they work a little too hard, <laughs> and they create a similar kind of torment in our lives, but maybe for no good reason. 
And that's what John is talking about here in this passage in 1 John chapter 3. You know, an example of this would be, uh, and maybe an indication that it might be happening in your own life, is when you, um, you know, feel like you've got to confess a sin over and over and over again. A sin that was committed 10 years ago. A sin for which you've received forgiveness. But, but you feel the need. You just got to keep confessing it for some reason. Or um, the tendency that some of us have to just ruminate on past mistakes and just think about them all the time. Even though they happened 20 years ago, 25 years ago, you just can't get them off your mind. Or um, a, a constant feeling of inadequacy. Um, uh, lack of competence, the, the feeling that it's just impossible that God would accept you. If, if any of these descriptions are appropriate for you, it could be that you have an oversensitive conscience, a conscience that's working hard. And it's just wonderful to see the Word of God address this uh, in this passage here in 1 John. So we've been going through the book of 1 John here at New Life, um, just one passage at a time. Uh, over the last couple of months. So we looked at uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 18 last week, and we saw uh, John encouraging us to, to love one another, to lay down our lives for one another, and to uh, be aware of the tendency to allow our hearts to fall into hate. And it's like this is what John has done throughout this letter is, is he kind of turns up the heat and gives us these commands that make us feel really super inadequate <laughs> And then he brings in some encouragement to kind of build us up. Because John knows that it's really hard to obey that command. Lay down your lives for one another. To love each other in that way is really hard. And John knows that when you hear that, you're immediately going to think, I don't do that so well. And so he comes in then with this encouragement. And the encouragement that he offers us today is in the way of reassuring uh, the Christian who has a troubled conscience. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you'd please stand for the reading of God's word. 1 John 3, I'll be looking at verses 19 through 24. First John 3, verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Our Father, we ask, as we have just sung, speak, O Lord, speak through your word. Speak to our hearts and speak to our consciences today, Father. Lord, we also pray, God, um, giving you thanks for the gift of new life in the family of the buses. We praise you uh, for the growth of that family, for their presence here, and pray for health, and strength for this growing child, and uh, love and grace and patience for their parents, for this child's parents, Lord, as they adjust to this new child in their lives. Father, we also pray for the Greers. We pray for their son-in-law, um, who is in the hospital in great pain right now, Father. 
uh, God, we ask that you would give the doctors wisdom to prescribe appropriate treatment. We pray for relief from the pain. We pray for strength for this young man's body and full healing for him. And peace and rest in your sovereign goodness, Lord, for uh, Ron and Bobby Greer. We pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we think about the the troubled conscience, um, perhaps that describes uh, many of you here today, just a a, a sense of of guilt and shame and, and just not measuring up and incompetence and adequacy, and you just feel so bad about yourself. And it has to do a lot with what your conscience is saying to you. We're going to think about this in two ways. We're going to think, first of all, the conscience that condemns, and then we'll think about the conscience that is confident. So, first of all, the conscience that condemns. This is what John begins writing about here, starting in verse 19. I want you to see here what John's intent is. If you look at verse 19, he says, By this we shall know. And if you skip down to verse 24, you'll see the way the passage ends. The last part of verse 24, he says the same thing. And by this we know that he abides in us. So you can see that what John wants to accomplish here is to to help us to know that God abides in us, to know that we have eternal life, to know that we belong to God. He wants to assure us of that. He wants to encourage And if you go back to verse 19, you'll see he he goes on to say this explicitly. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. So there's that word, reassurance. John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants you to be encouraged. Now, when it says here, uh, reassure our heart, we shouldn't read that word heart as if it's referring to, you know, the the organ that is in your chest cavity and, and pumps blood throughout your body. We, we shouldn't take it that literally. Uh, the heart in the scriptures actually refers to um, the, the source of our, our convictions and our thoughts. Uh, the heart refers to our, our character, our convictions. And there are other translations, English translations, that translate that word conscience. So we can read this appropriately by saying, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our consciences before him. Now, we might ask, well, why would our consciences need to be reassured? And so John goes on in verse 20, and he tells us, for whenever our heart condemns us, or whenever our conscience condemns us, He says, whenever. So it's like he's assuming this is something that that probably happens with some regularity in the life of the Christian. The conscience, that that voice inside your head whispers to you and says, you're such a bad Christian. You you have failed in so many ways. There's so many things you could have done that you haven't done. You're not as good as those other Christians at church, who seem to have it all together, you're not like them. You're less than them. You're bad. You're of no use to the kingdom. That, that's what our conscience is. Sometimes they, they whisper those things to us. They make us feel guilty. They drive us down, this voice that we all deal with. You know, just because you hear voices doesn't mean that you're crazy, you know. I mean, we, we all have these little voices of our conscience speaking to us. And so this is what John is talking about. Whenever our heart condemns us, 
Now, when that happens, when your conscience or your heart begins to condemn you, there's really two options. <coughs> there's two options. Um, the one option I- is this, and that is that your conscience might be correct. So th- there is this, this option, that is that your conscience might be condemning you because indeed it's true. You've sinned, you're, you're in a pattern of rebellion against God, and you need to acknowledge that, and you need to repent. And, you know, this is the first step in what it is to become a Christian, actually. This is the first thing that happens, is that you realize, I, I have fallen short of the glory of God. I've offended God, and I don't think I've been forgiven for that, and I'm convicted of that. And you confess that sin to God, and you receive what Jesus has done as your Savior. That's what it is to become a Christian. But, you know, once you become a Christian, it's not like the conscience turns off. Throughout your Christian life, you're going to be continually dealing with a conscience that is making you aware, alerting you to uh, those things in your life that are not pleasing to him. You you might remember 1 John chapter 1, we saw this very famous passage. It says in verse 8, actually, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And then it goes on and says, if we confess our sins, though, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there in chapter 1, John is talking about a situation where real sin is present. And the way you deal with real sin is you confess it and look to Christ for forgiveness. I'm, I'm going to you know, say a lot in this sermon, but it's very important that you remember what, what I'm going to say right now. You gotta, everything I'm going to say later, I, I want you to keep this in mind. And that is that you need to be sensitive to your conscience. You need to be very careful about dismissing what your conscience says. Again, the conscience acts like an engine light that's alerting you to something wrong with your car. I mean, you can imagine driving a car that had no engine light. I mean, driving a car that didn't indicate to you anything that was wrong with it. You can imagine the trouble that that would create. And here's what will happen if you don't listen to your conscience. If you constantly shut it down, it'll stop working. And that's that's a bad situation to be in. Um, the person who has no conscience, we sometimes call a sociopath. And, and that can happen if we just shut it down. Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, In later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. See, it's possible to get to the point where your conscience gets, gets seared. It doesn't function anymore. It doesn't mean anything, and and that just frees people to indulge in their evil impulses in destructive ways. So there are occasions when your conscience says certain things, and your conscience is correct, and you need to listen to that. But I just shared with you 1 John chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we confess our sins, God's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's what happens in chapter 1, but we're in chapter 3 now. Chapter 3 is different than chapter 1, and notice, if you look at verse 20, how does John handle this? He says, for whenever our heart condemns us, we should confess our sins. It doesn't say that. Whenever our heart condemns us, he says, God is greater than our heart. So, because John doesn't tell us in verse 20 to confess what the conscience is telling us, what that suggests is that the conscience is not functioning properly in this case. And that's why John is saying that there's not a sin to confess here. And so that leads to the second option. In one respect, 
your conscience might be correct, but it's also possible, friends, that your conscience might be incorrect. It's possible that those voices that your conscience are saying are not speaking truth to you. I mean, this is very important to to understand. A condemning conscience does not always mean that you're in sin. A condemning conscience does not always mean that you're living a life displeasing to God. There's a distinction to be made, friends, between the voice of God and the voice of your conscience. They're not necessarily the same thing. The voice of your conscience is not one and the same with the voice of God or with the law of God or with the truth of God as it is revealed to us in the scriptures. They're not necessarily the same. Sometimes they are the same, and when they are the same, then your conscience is correct and you confess your sins. But there are some times when the conscience speaks in a way out of line with what the word of God says. So the conscience can function improperly when the conscience is not adequately informed by the word of God. And and we see, you know, there are examples, of course, of people who obey their consciences and they do horrible things, like those men who flew the airplanes into the World Trade Center. I mean, they were being true to their conscience, but it was an ill-informed conscience. And so they might have felt certain contentment about what they were doing. Uh, And I think we can say that that's exactly what happened. They seemed to be glad in what they were doing. But their conscience was ill-informed. The conscience can be wrong when, when we seek to obey rules and standards and restrictions that we set up for ourselves, or that others have set up for us. And those things become more important to us than what the Word of God says. And when that happens, the conscience can overwork and torment you for no good reason. So some examples uh, of this. Um, Examples of an overactive conscience. Uh, Legalism. Some of you were brought up in legalistic churches or maybe very legalistic homes. And, um, you know, you've been told that that it's, it's wrong to go to a movie or to drink a beer or to play cards or you've been told that it's wrong to have your children in public school and the only right way to raise a child is to homeschool. And, and you've been told that. And it's been drilled into your mind. And so you walk into a movie theater and you just immediately feel guilty just even being in the place. Well, those restrictions are not restrictions that come from the word of God. These are things that have been opposed upon you that are outside the Bible and have jacked up your conscience so that your conscience is now condemning you for something that's not actually displeasing to God. Now, of course, there are some movies you could go to that probably would be displeasing to God, but merely entering a movie theater is not a sin against God. Legalism is one source of an overactive (coughs) conscience. Perfectionism can create an overactive conscience. That is, we set up standards for ourselves, like um, you know, maintaining a, a diet in a particular way, or maintaining an exercise regimen of some sort, or maintaining a certain level of excellence in the classroom. You know, you got to get an A on every single test, and you get a B 
and, and you feel condemned because you got a B and your conscience is condemning you for being no good because of your B. <laughs> well, there is no requirement in the Christian life to get A's on all your tests and A's on all your classes. That's not the mark of a holy person. I mean, to aim for A's is, is really good. To be on a diet, that could be really good. To exercise, that can be really good. But to fail those things is not to fail God. And perfectionism can, can lead to a guilty conscience that happens when we fail to obey these standards, these gods, I might say, that we set up for ourselves. Um, another example, unrealistic expectations. Uh, you know what it's like when you see the, 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 the ad that comes on TV of the starving children in Africa, and you just immediately kind of feel guilty because you know, you're not taking care of, of these children. You just feel like there's, I, I could do that. I could, I'm not doing enough. Or very often, uh, Christians will feel kind of guilty because they're not evangelizing every single person that, that they meet. I mean, th these again, they're not requirements of scripture. He here's what you can remember. God expects you to do what you can, but not to do what you can't. And you, you can't feed all the starving children in Africa. You can't. Now, that ought to be an effort that someone is paying attention to, and perhaps we can contribute to that, and we probably should, but it's not up to you, you one individual, to, to solve that problem or take care of that. The conscience can be incorrect, and when the conscience is incorrect, I want you to see what John says here. Verse 20, again, whenever our heart or whenever our conscience condemns us, Look what he says. This is, I love this verse. I mean, I, I didn't even know it was here, really, honestly, before I started this passage. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. See, what, what that means is that what God says is true about you is more true than what you say is true about you. What God says is true of you trumps what your conscience says is true about you. God's love for you is much greater than any kind of feeling you might have about who you are and how you performed and what you've done in your life. God's word is authoritative. God's word tells you who you are. And if you're a Christian, you're a child of God. You are righteous in his sight. There is no condemnation for you. Paul says here in Romans 8 applies to you. I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present or things to come, powers, height, depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You don't follow your diet quite well enough. You walk into a movie theater. That won't separate you from the love of God. This is true of you. This is true. What your conscience says sometimes is false. And, and it's very important to kind of learn how to distinguish the difference. I mean, that's, that's not easy, I understand. But it's important to keep the distinction in mind. Verse 20, he goes on, God is greater than our heart. What God says is, is greater than what we think of ourselves. And then he says, and he knows everything. Now, th that little addition doesn't really seem to help here, does it? <laughs> to think that God knows 
everything. I mean, if God knows everything, now we're thinking, well, then he knows all these things in my heart and in my mind that nobody else knows about, and that makes me feel even more guilty. And certainly there is a sense in which God's omniscience should bring a certain amount of conviction into our lives. But remember the, the, the context here. John's trying to reassure us. John wants to encourage you. And so his reason for mentioning God knowing everything, I don't think is to bring deep conviction. It just doesn't fit with the overall flow of this passage. So what could he mean? Why would he say that? God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. And I think it might be this. It's that God knows that in all of your efforts to love others, in particular, since that's the context, the broader context here, that in all of your efforts to lay down your lives for others, even though they're so inadequate and they fall short in so many ways and they are deficient in so many different ways, God knows everything. That is, he knows that you did it in faith. He knows you did it for his glory. He knows that even though it wasn't as good as it could have been, it was done from the right motives to please your Savior. God knows that. And he knows how hard it is to love. He knows how complicated it is to love other people. He knows that we are but dust. He knows that. I'm not saying he just winks and nods and lets us off for our sin. No, no, I'm not saying that. But there's a certain sincere desire to please God that might not necessarily show outwardly. And others don't see that, but God does. So there's a conscience that condemns. But secondly, there is the conscience that is confident. That there's a, a confident conscience. So look at verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. If our heart does not condemn us. So, well, apparently that's, that's possible to have a clear conscience, to have a heart that does not condemn us. Now, I, I don't think John's talking here about a seared conscience. The person with the seared conscience, that conscience won't condemn. No. I mean, that's right. <laughs> but, but that's not what John is talking about here because of what he says in verse 20. God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Verse 21, if our heart does not condemn us, it's not a seared conscience because we have confidence now before God. The person with the seared conscience doesn't have confidence before God. This is talking about the person walking with God, pleasing God. This person has confidence. See, here, here's the problem when your conscience is convicting you all the time, is that you don't have confidence before God, right? You, you don't, you don't want to draw near to him because you think he's angry with you. You think he's upset with you. I mean, who goes to seek out people that you think are mad at you? And you certainly don't go asking things from people who are mad at you. But what John is saying here is, no, when your conscience is clear and it's not condemning you, then you have confidence, and there's a conscience that is confident to live before God in a particular way. And so there's three things here. The person whose conscience is confident is the person who prays, first of all, who prays. There we go. Who prays. Chapter 3, verse 22. Whenever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So here's how confidence is shown up. We, we, we ask God for things. We, we pray to him. We draw close to him. 
We make requests of him. It's Corey Ten Boom who said, who said that when we get so busy that we can't pray, the devil laughs. But when we pray, the devil trembles. Because the devil knows that's where real kingdom work is done. And we ought to be very happy about that because in the book of Revelation it says that the devil is our accuser. This is what the devil does. He accuses the sons and daughters of God before God and makes them feel guilty and wreaks havoc with their conscience. But here's the person with a competent conscience goes to God and asks of him. And what does it say here in verse 22? Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, that's kind of a problematic passage. <laughs> um, that doesn't always work out that way in our lives, right? Wh whatever we ask, we get. I mean, I think all of us would say, yeah, that, that hasn't always been my experience. Uh, John's going to pick up uh, on this again in chapter 5. We'll spend a little more time on this idea at, at that time, but... Um, I don't think what John is saying here is that if we keep his commandments that God will pay us back with an answered prayer. I mean, it's kind of what it seems like it's saying, right? Just do good things, then pray, and you get what you want. I, I think what John is saying here is that when we keep his commandments, when we do what is pleasing to God, we have a heart that is being shaped into his image we find that our affections and our desires are matching his affections and his desires. That's what it is to please him. And when we live that way, when we're in that mindset, we're walking, our prayers will tend to be prayers that are fully in line with his honor and his glory. And those are the prayers that he delights to answer and will answer. We should remember, too, that God doesn't always answer our prayers in the manner in which we expect, nor does he always answer our prayers in the timing in which we expect. There's no promise here of immediate answer to prayer, but the point here is that the person whose conscience is clear will boldly go before the throne in prayer. The second thing here, the conscience that is confident is the person who believes. Verse 23, in verse 22, he talks about obeying the commandment, and then in verse 23, he describes what that commandment is. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the command. You know, very often we think of a command as something that we should do, and often it is, but in this case, the command is something that we should believe. Th this is the first step after confessing sin and repenting, as I said earlier, to becoming a Christian, confess your sin, and then believe in the name of Jesus Christ, because it is only through him that forgiveness of sins is offered, he is the way and the truth and the life. He's the only one who has paid the penalty for sin. He's the only one who was raised from the dead and conquered death and the devil. And so to be forgiven, you need to believe in him. And this is the commandment. This is not just an offer to you. It's not just a suggestion to you. It's God's command to you. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Look what John uh, describes Jesus is saying here in John 6. They said to him, to Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? How do we get busy doing things for you? And Jesus answered, this is the work of God. Believe in him whom he has sent. Believe in the Son of God. Receive Jesus as your Savior. That's the second thing the person with confidence does. 
This is important because, friends, you know, one of the reasons for a troubled conscience is sometimes simple unbelief. It's just a refusal to believe that what Jesus has done on the cross is enough to make you right before God. It it is enough. It is enough. His sin did pay for your sins. There is no condemnation for you, so why are you condemning yourself? If God is not condemning you, why are you condemning yourself? That's the second thing. The third thing is this, uh, the person who loves. The passage closes out here, verse 23. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. As we draw close to God in confidence, that's not the only command. The other command is to draw close to God's people as well. We talked about this again last week in in some detail, but here's what he says in verse 24, that when you keep his commandments, you're abiding in him, and he in them, or he in you, and by this you know that he abides in, in us by the spirit whom he has given us. As we obey this command, as we seek to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, God gives us this assurance. By this we know that he abides in us. By this we know that we belong to God. We have a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, an imperfect love certainly, but that love is there. And through that commitment to the body of Christ, we gain this assurance and our conscience is confident. And it was Mark Twain who said, a clear conscience is a sign of a bad memory. And it's kind of a joking way of saying no one has a clear conscience. But that's not true. It is possible for you to have a clear conscience. It's by confessing your sin, repenting of it, and leaning and resting upon Jesus. Receiving and believing what the word says, that your sins are washed away in his blood, that your pardon has been purchased, that you have peace with God, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If if you're not a Christian and you're plagued by your guilt and your shame, you need to go to Jesus and believe in him and become a Christian. If you are a Christian and you're plagued by guilt and shame, you need to go to Jesus and receive forgiveness that he will gladly offer to you. And you'll have the blessed assurance that makes being a Christian so sweet and that we're about to sing about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do give us assurance. We thank you, Father, um, that you want to assure us that your heart is that we wouldn't live in discouragement, that we'd live in hope, and that we would come to you confidently. Thank you, Father. Help us to know how to discern when our conscience is correct from the time that our conscience is incorrect. Please help us. That requires wisdom. It requires your spirit. So bless us and give us the blessed assurance that we sing about now. In Jesus' name, amen.